Well, good morning. I'm excited about this morning. Um, my name's John. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome to Prodigal Church. For those of you who are here and those of you who are watching online, you matter. Thanks for joining us. It's going to be a great Sunday. Uh, we're looking at the bad guys of the Bible, and we are in week two of our series called Villain. And this morning, it's not a bad guy. It's a bad girl. And her name is Delilah. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Judges 16. I think it's the seventh book in the Bible. Um, so just keep flipping over. It's near the beginning. And uh, while you're turning there, uh, let me set the stage for you. The main character in this story is Samson. And he's supposed to be the good guy. He's the leader of God's people, the people of Israel. And he has supernatural strength given to him by God. Okay, Think Incredible Hulk type strength. And uh, he is a bonehead who loves women that he shouldn't love. And he also took a Nazarite vow, which means that he's set apart from birth to God. And that also means that he doesn't touch dead things, he doesn't drink alcohol, and he doesn't cut his hair. Okay, so th this is Samson. He's kind of a big deal. He's the leader of God's people. All those things, touching dead things, drinking alcohol, cutting his hair— uh, all those things violate his Nazarite vow, and in the chapters preceding this one, he breaks two of them. The only one he doesn't break is the cutting of the hair, which is yet to be seen. Judges 16, it says this. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Well, the chapter just kind of comes in swinging here, right? <laughs> what happens in Gaza stays in Gaza. Uh, here's this religious leader who's going to Gaza, which is in the territory of the Philistines, which is Israel's enemy. And when he found himself in a situation surrounded by his enemies, you don't stay. You run. You leave. Uh, back in the year 2000, I was 19 years old, and I just got back to California from a six-month kind of missions experience in Malawi, Africa. And so I'm 19, and I'm checking all my emails on my yahoo.com email address that I still use to this day. And I get this email from a girl that I'd gone to high school with, and I hadn't seen her since we graduated. Now it's about a year after we graduated. She's like, hey, I'm in town. I've been living in this state, but I'm back in town. Uh, do you, you want to come over and hang out? And I'm like, yeah, sure, for sure. Like, it was all totally innocent. Like, her family's there, so I knock on the door, I show up, and she's got, like, six or seven brothers and sisters. Some of them are older, so there's, like, like kids around, too. Like, her nana is there, and they're all in the living room. And we kind of strike up a conversation, and everyone's really nice. And I tell her about life in Africa, and she tells me about her life after high school. And she says that she just finished um, massage therapist class. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I thought I was being clever, and I said, oh, I got this kink in my neck. And she goes, oh, I can take care of that. And so I thought she was just kind of kind of, you know, just, you know, that, you know, just a token little, and no, uh, she goes, lay down. So I lay down, and all, all the family's gathered around me, and she kind of's off, I'm on my stomach in the living room, and she kind of does this, and I'm feeling pretty awkward, uh, and the family's, like, encouraging me, like, this is a good idea, oh, no, she's great at it, she's great at it, and I'm like, this is getting weird, and and so then she seems kind of frustrated. She's like, why are you so tense? And I go, I don't know. I'm just sore, but I'm really terrified about what's happening. And there I am on the living room floor, 19 years old. Uh, she goes, you know, it, it helps if your shirt was off. And, and then like, I'm like, I think I'm good. And she goes, no, no, honestly. And then the family's egging me on, which is the most awkward part. So 
there I am laying on the floor, shirt off. She grabs the lotion, squirts it on my back. I shimmy because it's cold. It's, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking this is so awkward. Get me out of here. I make eye contact with Nana, and she's like, yeah. And, and so I, I'm thinking I got to get myself out of here. So I ran out so fast, I think I may have left my shirt. I, I come home. My mom's like, where's your shirt? I don't want to talk about it, Mom. I'm going to go take a shower. I need a chance to decompress here. This is a true story. Uh, when surrounded by a situation like this, that I know I probably shouldn't be there for a thousand reasons, I ran. I got out of there. It's not what Samson does, okay? He, he does not do that. He stays the night with the prostitute. And notice that the prostitute is nameless. And the women preceding this story are also nameless. Uh, the author is very intentional to say, well, she's, she's a prostitute. She's, she's nameless. She's just a hooker. Uh, and then we meet a non-nameless woman named Delilah. Verse 4, it says this, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Very intentional telling us what her name was. The name Samson means light or sunny. The name Delilah in Hebrew means night. So she's named, but she's darkness and he's light. It's telling us, hey, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And where was she located? She was in the Valley of Sorek. Well, you can guess what territory that's in, right? The land of the Philistines. Samson loves these Philistine women. And here's where the story takes a turn. Look at verse five. It says this, the rulers of the Philistines went to her, went to Delilah, and they said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. This is an incredible, exorbitant amount of money. This would set Delilah up for life. And not only that, but the leaders of her people come up to her, and if she's able to pull this off, if she's able to defeat Samson, the Israelite, who's been wreaking havoc on the Philistines for all these years, she'll be a national hero. So in the telling of this Samson and Delilah story, we often are, view Delilah as like some villainous seductress. But if you only knew her story, it's probably not as black and white as we think it is. It's probably a little bit more gray. In fact, this is true for us today, especially in the political climate we live in. The person or the group of people that we villainize actually have a story. And if we knew their story, they wouldn't be the characterized villains that we make them out to be. Everybody has a story. Now, many scholars believe that Delilah was simply doing whatever she had to to survive. In fact, in the previous chapter, there's a Philistine woman who's unnamed, who cozies up to Samson, and she's murdered by the Philistines to get to Samson. And in the very next chapter, the Philistines go up to Delilah, and she wants her life to be spared. So she takes the deal to betray Samson. Verse 6, So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. She's not very subtle, <laughs> okay? Not really sly, okay? Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with him. 
the men, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Her question is a bit ridiculous and obvious, right? She simply asks him, how can you be tied up and subdued? Uh, and surely Samson is at least suspicious, but yet he doesn't leave her. Because the next sentence says, then Delilah said to Samson. That's an astonishing line. Samson is still there, listening to her. Why is he playing such dangerous games? Now, let me summarize what happens the next two times she asks. She, she kind of gets playfully upset with him. She's like, Samson, you made a fool of me. Tell me the secret of your strength. And he goes, okay, if you tie me up with new ropes, I won't be able to get out. So he goes to sleep. She uses new ropes to tie him up. And then she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Snap, he breaks the rope, kills all the Philistines. And she's like, Samson, you lied to me. What's your secret? And then he says, it'll be on the screens. If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. Notice that he's getting closer to the actual secret of his strength, his Nazarite vow. He's getting closer. So he goes to sleep. She weaves the even braids. She says, the Philistines are upon you. He shakes his hair free, and he kills all the Philistines. And she's like, Sammy, this is the third time. You made a fool of me. Let's, let's pause here and ask this question. How dysfunctional is this relationship? <laughs> what is keeping these two together? Samson and Delilah are an extreme case of using one another rather than serving one another. Uh, that as, as couples, we need to be serving one another in love, not using one another. Uh, they say to each other, I'm with you because I love you but they mean I'm with you because you're useful to me. Doubtless, there was a lot of passion and romance between the two, but it was done out of a motive of self-enhancement rather than self-giving love. Samson was using Delilah to get sex and probably also the thrill of danger, but she was using him for fame and fortune. Look at verse 15. It says this, Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Samson discloses his weakness, she uses it against him. See, weaknesses need to be strengthened, not exposed. When the people close to us expose their most vulnerable self, they tell you something they've never told anybody. They reveal something that they're ashamed of, and they expose that, that themselves to you. They, they, they are vulnerable with you. We should... Use that information to strengthen the bond between us rather than tear them down. It's to be to build them up. Verse 19, after putting him to sleep on her lap, 
she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before, I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's like a little author's note there to say, oh, but that's not the end of the story. You think it's the end of the story, but it's not. See, the hair starts to grow again. Now, we're not going to read any more of the passage. So if you want to find out what happens in the story, read the rest of Judges chapter 16. It's great. But things escalated quickly, didn't they? Just in the story, we discover this, that sin will bind you, sin will blind you, and sin will grind you. So we see that all right there. Um, when uh, I was growing up, we lived uh, in rural Illinois in a, in a city called Leroy. And we had a, a pond in our, in our back property area. And I remember one time going fishing with my dad. We had this little canoe. We, you know, we rode out there. And, and, you know, my dad's trying to teach me father-son lessons and stuff as he's fishing. And after a, a long time, longer than I wanted, that I was comfortable with, uh, he finally catches a, he gets a bite. And so he goes, and now he's trying to coach me. I'm just like, just do it fast, Dad. And he's like, no, no, it's easy, does it? You give him a little bit, then you reel it in. And he's giving these father-son lessons, and he pulls the fish out of the boat. And I'm like, cool, that's fishing. And then something unexpected happened. My dad grabbed the tail of that fish, bashed its head against the side of the boat, grabbed a pocket knife, and slid it from tail to the neck and pulled out all of its guts. I was four, okay? <laughs> I haven't had fish since. I realized fishing's different than what I expected. It's not this cute little cartoon, yay, it's a fish, and then you throw it back in. It's vulgar. It's violent. The enemy, Satan, the adversary of our souls, the devil, like a veteran fisherman, watches his fish, adapts his bait to his prey, and knows what seasons and times a fish is most likely to be caught. And we're that little fish. And we see that bait. And we take it. It hooks us every time. You see, love makes us vulnerable. Lust makes you stupid. We don't think. Verse 19 tells us that Samson fell asleep in her lap. That means what we think it means. People never learn. Samson doesn't learn. Despite the fact that every single time he takes a nap in Delilah's lap, he wakes up with men trying to kill him. He still does it. You can't take a nap in Delilah's lap. He's still coming over every time she calls him. Every time she texts, he's there. And it's not brilliant mastermind stuff. She's not trying to conceal anything, right? Do you know that the devil has no new tricks for you and me either? Let's be honest. You're still fighting the same battles you were 10 years ago. And so am I. Nothing ever changes because we never learn. Day after day, the enemy seems persistent. Every time you take a nap in Delilah's lap, you're going to wake up with a haircut. And you're not going to have the strength you once did. Now, in preparing this week, in immersing myself in this story, there's this one thing that I couldn't kind of get out of my head. It was this, almost this nagging feeling in my soul that, that Delilah has a story. 
that even Delilah has a story. She's not just an evil temptress. She has a story. Every Delilah has a story. You know, out of all my years attending church, you know, attending mass growing up, uh, working at different churches, I've heard countless sermons on Samson and Delilah. But I've never once have I heard them say, Delilah is loved by God. No. Instead, we say, stay away from the evil seductress. That's what she has become to us. She has become a temptation, not a person. Never stopping for one second to consider that the temptress is actually a person, a girl, a daughter, perhaps a mother. She is a person dearly loved by God, not simply a characterization of lust and bad decisions. We do this a lot as Christians. We want to make a point. God wants us to love the person. We want to make a point that this is wrong. Don't do this. God is using that so that we love the person. You see, the person gets lost when all we want is to make our point. And Christians, we haven't been very good at this. We make our point at the expense of the person. That's not God's heart. Billy Graham once said that it's God's job to love, or it's God's job to judge, it's the Spirit's job to convict, and it's our job to love. How are we doing with that? Or do we like to do the judging and the convicting? We know what our call is. We're going to love God, we're going to love people. Let's, let's let the Spirit do the judging and the convicting. Uh, when my son Dex was, was two, three years old, even four, he loved to play hide-and-go-seek. He still likes it. And uh, uh, I would always go, we'd always start the game with, son, you know, you want daddy to hide or you want Dexie to hide? And he, and he says, uh, uh, I want daddy to hide. And, and then he goes, go hide behind the curtain. I go, no, no, son, that's, that's, that's not how you play. Okay, you count and then I go hide and you don't know where. He goes, but go hide behind the curtain. <laughs> so I hide behind the curtain. He counts to 10 and, and uh, then he always says, here or not, here I come. Okay, it's not what you say, son. It's ready or not, here I come. But he says, here or not, here I come. <laughs> Immediately makes the beeline for the curtain, right? Opens it up, makes eye contact with me. okay. Huge smile, closes the curtain and keeps looking, (laughs) right? And he's like, where are you? And he's looking around and then he comes back to the curtain and I go, you found me and biggest smile ever. And he's like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. The look of joy when he pulls open the drapes. You found me? See, for Dex, the joy is not in playing the game correctly. The joy is playing with dad. That is what life is all about. It has has been and will always be about people, people, real life. That's what matters. Men, women, and children are worth the supreme effort, the greatest sacrifice, the ultimate gift. Every person belongs. Every person matters. I was at the movie a couple years ago, and I was in line for popcorn. This person in front of me is taking way too long to get their milk duds and sour patch kids, okay? So the associate is kind of pulling out the candy bars and he hands them to the guy and dude starts inspecting them, like holding up to the light a little bit, like doing this. 
And I'm like, dude, let's go. Like, Sarah's waiting. Um, those duds are calling my name. I know what I want. Puts him back in the case. Then he checks his phone and starts texting. And he wasn't like one of the fast texters, you know, like this, where he can multitask. He was like some of, he was like my mom. The, And I'm like, buddy, buddy, let's go. He's literally taking forever, which apparently means like three to four minutes, okay? Now, I'm not the guy who's going to say something, but I'll be passive aggressive, okay? I'll change my posture and I'll breathe heavy. You know what I'm talking about? <sighs> then I fi- we finally, he finishes, he gets, go, I go to my seat, I get my duds, and then the person behind me, kind of puts their feet on my chair. And I'm like, ah. okay, I kind of scoot nonchalantly, right? Like I want to let him know that, hey, you're bugging me, but I don't want to like let him know that he's bugging me. Okay, I want to be subtle. I'm a nice guy. And so he does it again. I kind of just go, you know, just kind of do it, trying to give him hints. And finally, after the last kick, I got to turn around. I got to see who my nemesis is. Guess who it was? No, it wasn't that guy. It was a different guy. I wish it was. It would have been a way better story if it was the same guy, but it was somebody totally different, okay? All of these are subtle ways for me to communicate, hey, you're an inconsiderate jerk. Stop kicking me. People are frustrating, amen? People are annoying. Totally. Now, I invite knowing the band to come up. Imagine yourself. Let's rewind, okay? Let's, let's, let's rewind here. Imagine yourself uh, in line. Guy's taking forever. You see him, you're getting frustrated because the deliberation, you look at the candy, he's taking his time. Now imagine that y- you do actually know something about him. Imagine that you learn that this man is texting his little brother who was just released from hospital. And his brother's been in there for years. And the first thing that this man's little brother wanted to do was to go see a movie with his big brother. He wants to see the new Spider-Man movie. And so big brother tells him to save the seats and I'm going to get the best candy they have, make sure that it's fresh. So he inspects each bar and he's making sure it's fresh and he's texting pictures to his brother asking, what do you want, bud? Whatever it is, it's yours. Or imagine that this man is texting and uh, he's texting a girl and he's known the woman for 15 years, and they've been friends, um, and uh, they went to the same college, and at various times they were, they were closer. They dated each other's friends, but they've never dated them, each other. And then totally unexpected, a year ago, they began writing letters to each other, like handheld, like, like pen-to-paper letters, right? And they start mailing these letters back and forth. And a genuine love relationship starts to, to form as they live far away. And they've both been burned by relationships in the past. She was engaged, and he called it off two weeks before. Uh, He was in a bad relationship where his girlfriend of four years was actually seeing his roommate behind his back for two of those years. And so they decided that they're not going to see each other. And if they would just write for a year, only write letters for one year. And if they were still writing after 365 days, they would see each other in person. Well, this has happened. And the letters have brought them together, and there is love between them. Extraordinary, extraordinary love. And now the year is up, and she has come to visit, and they're on their first official date, and he has a diamond ring in his pocket, and he's going to put the ring in the Milk Dad's box, which she doesn't know about. And he's texting his family and her family 
who are waiting to celebrate with them. Now let's rewind. You're there in line. Only now you know the context. He's got a story. He's a person. You're there in line. Now when you're watching this, it's not annoying. It's riveting now. Now you're fully engaged. It's electric. You watch with different eyes. You're fully engaged. You're filled with anticipation. Why? Because now you're aware. Previously, you weren't aware of their story. Now you know their story. Now you see and feel things in different ways that you never thought you could. Your awareness has changed because your perspective has changed. He's no longer a nuisance. No longer an inconvenience. This person has a story. Every person has a story. Every Delilah has a story. This is what the Holy Spirit of the living God is saying to us as followers of Jesus. Everyone matters. Everyone matters, even your enemies. So I want to invite Noe and the band to come up, and and we're going to declare that song again, that raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. and, And maybe those enemies are things happening in your life. You've got some enemies. Maybe it's the IRS. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your bank account balance. Maybe it's your own addictions. Maybe it's a person who's hurting you. Maybe it's a destructive relationship. Maybe it's not a relationship that's about serving one another, but rather, what can I get from the other person? We're going to raise a hallelujah in the midst of that. In the midst of whatever it is we're going through. We're going to sing it loud. And walls fall down. Spiritual walls crumble when we lift up the name of Jesus. When we get our eyes off of our villains, off of the bad guys, off of our problems, off of our insecurities, off of all the bad things that happen in our lives, and we lift them up. Man, we said this last week, right? Sometimes it's just enough to just look up. Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's humbled beyond belief. And he says he lifts his gaze to heaven and God answers. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to lift our gaze to heaven. And let's see if the Lord answers because he's good. Would you stand with me? Let me pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name that as we raise up a praise the Lord, as we raise up the name of Jesus in our lives, that the issues, the struggles, the insecurities, the failures, the shortcomings, the sins, that they fade in Jesus' name. God, that you rise up in its place, that the strength you bestowed on Samson would you instill in our spirits now to overcome what is assailing us. We need you, God. We raise the hallelujah in the middle of our enemies, in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of our problems, in the middle of our shortcomings, in the middle of our struggles, God. We lay them before you and we raise it up and we say, God, you're bigger than our worries. You're bigger than our problems. You're bigger than our doubts. You're bigger than our questions. We raise it up in Jesus' name and we declare it together.